0: Okay, I'm going to start with, um, with uh, Romans chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 23 in the message. And, um, and I, I want to tell you up front what it is that we're going after today. I'm going to talk about, number one, as I promised last week, that we are believers. We are practicing righteousness. We are not practicing sinning. There's a big difference, right? We are saints who sometimes sin. There was a time when we were sinners, Then we became sinners that were saved by grace, but now we are saints. The word says we are saints. Now, occasionally we sin, but we're not sinners. Do you hear me? You are practicing righteousness. You're not practicing sinning. Are you with me? Some of us have practiced sinning because we didn't know that we're supposed to be practicing righteousness. We're going to talk about that today, and that's why we're starting with Romans 6. And then we're going to talk about, but if we do sin, then what do we do? You know, what does that mean, and how do we move forward? So those are the two things that we're going to talk about. So let's let Romans uh, say it in the way that Romans likes to say it. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left that for good? That is what has happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. And when we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, We also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Praise God. Amen. That's resurrection life. Speaking of resurrection life, I do want to make a little note here. How many of you guys were here last week? Raise your hand. Seriously, how many of you were here? Okay, so like all of you, perfect. Uh, I really appreciated Mark, uh, Pastor Mark, sharing some of his journey. um, and, And as he's been leading a whole bunch of men out of different addictions, many of them sexual addictions, he was sharing some of his journey. And in the way that he shared... Uh, There was a little bit of confusion for some, and they're like, oh, is Mark saying I have ongoing sexual addiction that I occasionally relapse into? And the answer is no. Uh, Mark does not struggle with sexual addictions, and he is not relapsing. His history with God and God has carried him out of was an issue with anger, and um, he has done all the things that he said that he has done. He's walked through a process of healing, uh, but he has been walking in freedom and health in the area of anger for years, and is not relapsing there either. So I just wanna be clear about that. He was saying that as we walk through these processes together in these groups, the way that we walk into freedom is through healthy discipleship. So when he was sharing, I have good days and I have horrible days, he wasn't saying the horrible days I went home and beat my wife. He never beat his wife, by the way. Gotta be careful with these apologies and clarifications. They're like, yeah, so it turns out, no, he did. Can you just edit that out of the video? This is going horribly wrong. I'm a recovering public speaker. Okay. So <laughs> at any rate, I just want you to know that, uh, that we do love Mark. We appreciate his vulnerability. He did come out of a place of anger, but he has been walking in sobriety there. And as he continues to walk before Christ, he is drawing on the same tools and grace of Jesus to continue to walk in a place of health alongside of others who are doing the exact same thing. Amen? All right. So for any of you that were worried, now you know. Let's get back to the scriptures. Okay. Um, Here we go. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. I love that. Sin speaks a dead language. It means nothing to you. When you hear it, you're like, I don't even know what that's about anymore. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am dead to sin and alive to God. That is what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Let's just read that line together, okay? That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. One more time, That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. That'll preach. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. So, since we're out from that old tyranny, does that mean that we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroys freedom. You offer your—I'm sorry—offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God, and the freedom never quits. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do. Come on, who wants to raise their hand to that one? But thank God, you've started listening to a new master—one whose commands set you free to live openly in His freedom. I'm using this freedom language because it's easy to picture. You can readily recall, can't you? How at one time, the more you did just what you felt like doing, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. Come on, how many of you can think back to that, right? When we're just like, I'm just going to do what I feel like doing. And after a while, you're like, this is not working. And how much different is it now to live in God's freedom? Your lives are healed and expansive in holiness. As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing that you're proud of now. Where did it get you? A dead end. But now that you have found you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do, and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise. A whole, healed, put together life right now with more and more of life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our master. That last last line in the NIV puts it this way, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. We don't practice sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. You guys, we're a slave to whoever we serve, aren't we? We're a slave to whoever we serve. Now, here's the amazing thing. We get to serve God in righteousness. We are slaves of righteousness. Your inclination is towards righteousness. You tend to be righteous most of the time. Have you noticed that? You may not have noticed that. Did you know that you tend? You who are born again, you tend towards righteousness. You don't tend towards sin. That's a good word right there. Is anybody saved in here? What is happening? <laughs> so what about when we do sin? That's what I want to talk about here. What about when we do sin? So right now, if you are in a place, and I, and I touched on this last week, if you are in a place where you are currently practicing sin in an area, I want to say to you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his, I want to compel you in Jesus' name, Stop practicing that sin. It is leading you towards separation from seeing yourself as God sees you. It is affecting the people around you negatively. It is affecting the tribe negatively because you are making the name of Christ look bad. You are saying to the world, I can do whatever I want, regardless of what Jesus did for me, I don't care about that. I am not going to take the gift that he's given me and use it to glorify him. I am going to use that gift to do whatever I want and then simply say, nobody's perfect. How is your message any different than the world's? They're already doing whatever they want for whatever reason they want. And you're claiming eternal life as your prize as you continue to practice sin? What hope do you have to offer to a world who's in bondage to sin when you yourself practice the very sins that others are practicing? There's no hope in our message if we practice sin. No, we practice righteousness. And if we do sin... Then we can confess those sins and we can step back from them and we can find ways to make sure and protect ourselves from those besetting sins, right? We talked last week about sexual sins. Those aren't the only ones, they're definitely a very strong one. But we have ways to begin to walk out of that in righteousness and receive the healing and the wholeness that God's brought us. But, beloved, awesome, amazing saints, my family, tribe, we are not those who practice sin. You are a son, you are a daughter of God, and you must live as Jesus lives. And he does not practice sin. So whatever you're justifying, I I compel you in Jesus' name. Change your behavior. Ask for his help. Ask for help from those around you, and let's practice righteousness in that area. Very likely, all the rest of your life, you're practicing righteousness. Very likely, there's only probably a couple of areas right now For those of you right now, you're feeling it, you're like, yee, right? That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit is upon you, where you're going, I probably need to stop watching movies that violate my conscience. I probably need to stop drinking so much, eating so much, allowing my anger to rule me, sexual addiction, whatever area there, you're lowering the standard. The conviction of the Lord is upon you. Why? Because I'm preaching the gospel, of the good news, that you are free from sin and you are free to practice righteousness. And in this moment, it's like, oh, but my thing's okay. No, your thing is not okay. You must turn from it and back to the Lord and say, Lord, how can I honor you in this part of my life? I'm honoring you in all the other parts of my life, Lord. But in this part, how dare I demand of you that you pay for this sin as I willfully practice it while not even repenting for it. May the Lord convict our hearts with the grace and the gift of repentance right now that we would step out of the practice of those things that we as a body, as we as a family are currently practicing and say, Lord, forgive me. I want to step out of this now. Show me. And the truth is, it doesn't take much for him to show you because you already know. You've just been rationalizing this whole time. And today is the day. Today, don't harden your heart. Today is the day to say, Father, please forgive me. I'm going to stop practicing sin in this area. And I'm going to add to this area the practice of righteousness as I have in almost every other area of my life. You guys notice it's usually just one or two areas, isn't it? Those little indulgences we give ourselves. Well, it's no big deal. I'm a pretty good person. None of us are going to be receiving eternal life because we're pretty good people. We've received eternal life because Jesus Christ paid for us to be able to live forever through his perfect sinless life. And he didn't give that sinless life so that we could sin and get away with it. He gave that perfect sinless life so we could be restored to the Father and enjoy perfect holy communion with him in the righteousness we could never afford amen? Okay, so what do we do now as you guys are all sitting there thinking about your current sin that you're practicing? <laughs> what do we do now? What do we do now? Well, I want to walk through as we, as we deal with those areas how do we walk out of that? And how do we do it in such a way that we don't end up stuck? Because I know that everybody in this house, I don't think there's anybody here, probably, that is consistently trying. Let me, let me start over. I know that God is going to complete the good work that he's begun in each of you. But there are areas where the enemy has been able to enslave us to a mindset where we live in this place of consistently justifying our sin and then feeling horrible about it. But then being returning to it because we're stuck in this back and forth cycle and instead of of recognizing, no, I can practice righteousness until I'm no longer practicing sin, we end up practicing sin because we're feeling completely defeated. And the very thing where we fell starts to be the thing the enemy says, this actually defines who you are. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't have to raise your hand. So let's begin then. Let's, let's say that you sinned this morning. Let's say you sinned this week and you're grieved by that sin. And even as I'm preaching this word to you, probably some of you are grieved. Some of you are probably mad at me right now. I remember I went to a youth conference with Josh McDowell when I was like 14 years old. And he was there. And you know what the youth conference was called? No compromise. And you know what the people in my youth group brought with us? A fifth of vodka the dude like fixed the little box like cross-wired it so there was pornography in the room that we were staying at no compromise there was like everybody snuck into our room we're having a party there i didn't this was like one of the few times i didn't instigate any of that but i was there and i participated And as we're there, we go then to Josh McDowell, and he says, you are called to righteousness. This is a righteous generation, and God is calling for no compromise. And I sat there, and I thought, you self-righteous piece of garbage. How dare you say that to me? Why? Because I just came from sin, like two seconds ago. But you know what happened later as, as the time went on? My anger began to shift and I began to realize, well, I'm angry because you're calling me out on what I'm actually doing right now. I'm angry because I'm guilty and I don't want to be guilty. And if you'd shut your stupid mouth, I wouldn't feel guilty because no one would be there to tell me. But you keep telling me the truth, so now I got to get mad. It's either get mad or get repentant. Well, eventually repentance showed up. But first, before there was repentance, first it was anger. How dare you? God doesn't expect people to actually not sin. He doesn't actually expect them to change. He doesn't have any hope for any change from humanity. Jesus just died because he felt like it, so that no one would ever have to do anything differently. We just wouldn't have to feel bad anymore. And he's like, oh no. No, no, no. I bought way more than that. And so then sadness began to grip my heart, because I began to realize, no, I am sinning against myself. I am sinning against my, the rest of my group. I'm sinning against my parents who think I'm here following Jesus. And, and sadness began to grip my heart. And, and, and here's the scripture. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. There is a grief that's supposed to hit us when we sin, There is a sadness that's supposed to hit us when we sin. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Isn't that interesting? There's a sadness that happens to us when we've sinned against the Lord, against ourselves, against our neighbor. There's a grief that is supposed to happen. And what it's, what, it's, what, it's, what it's called to do is to actually call us to say, God, I'm sorry, I have fallen short of the mark. What Satan wants to do is to just keep that in that place where that grief actually leads to death, where you're like, I am a piece of garbage. What I have done is what I am. God says, no, what you've done is what you've done. Who you are is who I say you are. See, the enemy wants us to stay in that place of grief and self-rejection, this focus on negativity that usually leads to relapse, by the way. And then spiritual frustration. If Satan has his way, then he's going to lead us to a spiritual death where we eventually just turn our back on God too. Your plan's not even working, Lord. And then a physical death because the wages of sin are death. Amen? But what does God want to do? He wants to produce repentance this is, this is what is available to us. We get salvation without regret. Did you catch that? After we have sinned, we get salvation without regret. How scandalous is that? Not because our sins are not grievous, guys. Because the truth is they will result in our death if we continue in them. How many of you have noticed sin grows? Right? It starts out just a little bit, just a little bit more. Somebody else has like got their Bible app on. They're like, you know what? I'm switching to somebody else. (laughs) We get salvation without regret from God, not because our sins are not grievous. They will result in death if we continue in them. They have damaged those around us. They've created distance in our hearts from all who we love, God, ourselves, others. We're completely in need of mercy. It's not wrong that we feel terrible about our sin. And there is a fact is, that if we justify our sins long enough, we actually sear our conscience to where unless we really think about it, we don't feel anything for a while, we just go numb. But I gotta tell you the danger about searing your conscience, if you can't feel the pain of those that you hurt, you also stop feeling the power of those that you love. You stop being able to experience love. You have to go numb. So a lack of conviction in an area of besetting sin, where you have justified your behaviors for a long time, you say, well, I just don't feel bad. Well, that's a problem when you don't feel bad about the things that God says, these are the things that I went to the cross for. It's not because God changed his mind. It's because you've begun to sear your conscience. And that's where we want the gift of repentance, which starts with sadness. It starts with a grief, a holy God given ability to like God when he looked upon humanity and all the intentions of their heart had become continually evil. And it said God's heart was torn within him. And when we're given that gift where our heart is torn within us, then we say, Oh my God, I have sinned against you and against myself and against my neighbor. Have mercy on me. That's the grief that causes repentance. And then we begin to say, Okay, I'm in completely, I'm completely in need of mercy, I need a Savior. At this point, when we're dealing with this grief, what I want you to understand, and those of you that, like like me, have come from a place of, so some of you, not all of you are addicts, okay? But some of us, some of you understand coming from a place where you're constantly going back to something that you hate and feel powerless to get out of it, right? You feel like this thing is becoming, starting to, 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 to own your life, and I, and I, and, and you, you know, some of you got lucky. You got some of the shiny stuff, right? Maybe you just overeat. Everybody's like, oh, everybody does that. Gluttony's no big deal. It's those sexual sinners. They're the ones. Those drunks, those angry people, those are the bad ones. Not me. I'm fine. I can comfort with food all I want. It's no big deal. That might even be harder than maybe some of the, the, the gnarly ones. That, because for us, we're like, yeah, that's really gross. I need to actually go after this. Nobody's giving me a high five for this. Maybe some of the acceptable sins are harder. I don't know. Nobody's going to answer me on that. (laughs) So we're in this place of sadness, but here's the thing. We also know that our sin has done great damage and our conscience is still condemning us. So what do we do? We can't restore what's been broken. And we dare not try to minimize the punishment that we deserve. Our hearts and minds are rightfully condemning us for what we've done at this point. Now, I want to note that there is an important process of making restitution and building back trust in the appropriate way and context with others who are directly affected by your sin. This cannot be skipped. The only way this restoration process can be walked out successfully in relationships with other humans, however, is if we are first personally receiving the grace and forgiveness that God has made available in our own hearts and minds. Are you with me? So this is between you and God, what I'm talking about right here. There is a process of rebuilding and bringing restitution and rebuilding trust with other relationships, okay? And we can talk about that in another sermon, but I just want to make that note, okay? So how can we be satisfied that what we have done, once we are repentant, that what we have done is actually being set right? How can we believe it in our heart and our mind? Only by letting the full price of what we have done, the full punishment actually be paid. I have to be satisfied in my conscience that what I actually did, because once I become aware of it, the the pain is crushing, isn't it? The pain is crushing at that moment, isn't it? When you see the fullness of what your sin actually did, it's like, uh. and I can't just skip that. I can't just tell my mind like, it's all good, bro. It's all good. Nobody's perfect. No, you know what you did, don't you? And your your conscience at this point won't let you rest because you know what you did. And it's important that you go ahead and own that. And you go, this has to be paid, there's no shortcut. I did this, I've, I've broken this again. I did the thing I promised I wouldn't do, whatever it is you know. But here's the thing, even though you now admit to yourself, this has to be paid, this has to be made right, you also have to go, I can't pay it, I can't pay it, I can't earn it back, I can't rebuild it, there's no punishment that is going to pay for this, only God himself can pay this great price, and in our repentance, we must accept both the severity of our sin and our complete inability to restore it through taking punishment ourselves. We cannot punish ourselves and think it would be enough. He's the only one without sin who can pay such a price. You looking in the mirror and telling yourself what a piece of garbage you are because of what you did adds nothing to pay off what you've done. You berating yourself does nothing to deliver you from the effects of sin. All it does is beat you down even more and make you more susceptible to doing the very thing that you hate that you just did. And, it's, and it's, it just won't work. We can't punish ourselves and think it would be enough. So we actually, the the only way to move forward with this is that we can take comfort and allow our conscience to be satisfied that we're not minimizing the cost of our sin by meditating on what the penalty actually is. Come with me to Isaiah 53. Are you guys tracking with me? I know this is an intense message. Stay with me. There's hope. Isaiah 53, it says of this, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs. What was that first scripture just a minute ago? It says that you grieved. There's a grief that leads to death. He's actually borne our griefs that lead to death. And he's carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him... Was the chastisement that brought us peace? With His wounds we are healed. We're like sheep and we've gone astray. We've turned every one to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Do you see this? Out of the anguish of His soul, verse eleven says, He will see and be satisfied. By His knowledge shall the righteous one, My servant. Make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. You are righteous. I am righteous because he bore my iniquities. But it was not cheap. Did you hear this? His beard was torn out for me. His back was whipped for me. He was exposed to the cross for me. He was exposed, naked and abandoned and nailed to a cross for me. Everything that I could possibly imagine that would need to be paid for the sake of justice, for what Joshua Revis has done, he took it. Whatever it is that you did, whatever punishment you think you deserve, and you do. Whatever it is, and you do. You deserve it. Here's the thing. He took it. So justice was not skipped. When your conscience is condemning, you need to understand this. Justice was not skipped. What you deserve was not skipped. When you look and say, somebody needs to pay for this. Something needs to be done to show that the violent act of selfishness that I perpetrated on the people that I love, the God that I love, this person, that needs to be paid. It's not okay. It's not all good. There has to be justice. Then you are right but you can't pay it. Even if you gave your life, you're not sinless. Your broken, self-righteous little life isn't enough. It's his perfect, sinless life that paid it. And he was glad to do it. It says this, he says, he, he, he will, out of the anguish of his soul, he will see and be satisfied The righteous one, my servant, making us accounted righteous because he's bearing our iniquities. He looked at us and said, You're worth it. But don't misunderstand and go, Well, I'll just pay it myself because you can't. So, whatever agreement you're making with punishment, as though you could add to it, the price has been paid in full. My sin is forgiven at great and ultimate price. I'm not innocent, I'm forgiven. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am not innocent. I am forgiven. By this payment of blood, I am now righteous, you guys. If I understand this, then I am filled with gratitude and humility. Even gratitude. (laughs) I'm not filled with self-hatred. This would mean that I don't yet comprehend how much he paid. There is no punishment left for me. Do you understand this? There's no punishment left for you. If there was some punishment left for me to take before God, it would mean that I think I could actually pay some part of this. And I just can't. It's a lie. So I have to trust that His love. His provision, his mercy, his blood, his forgiveness is there for me. He desires that the more that I think about what I've done, right? I want you to think about what you've done. Think about that thing of which you're ashamed and let it immediately remind you of what he did. I did this, Lord, but you did this. As I do this, as you and I do this, what it will do is it will move us out of that place of self-hatred, out of that place of trying to earn it to keep it, out of that place of, of justification or humiliation or shame or grief or sadness or whatever it is, and what it will do when you and I truly look at this is we will look at it and say, my God, I did do this, but you went to the cross, and you took the punishment, justice for the world and for me came through you. And all I can do is be humbled all the more and all the more grateful. Thank you, Jesus. You did what I cannot do and I could never do. And you'll set down the hammer that you're hitting yourself with, thinking that's going to somehow teach you, don't be dumb, don't be dumb. And he's like, what are you doing? You already used that hammer to drive the nails into my wrist. The price is paid. Drop the hammer. There's no punishment left for you. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. I want to ask that the ushers would hand out communion at this time. First John chapter 1. Verse seven, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, where'd I go? All unrighteousness. Can you give us some of that too, Rick? Rick? I don't have any, if you don't mind, you set it up here. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You and I have been cleansed from all unrighteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we have become the righteousness of God. You have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Do you catch that? You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because of what he has done. 1 John 3.19 says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Listen to that. By this, this, this summarizes this whole preach. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. How many of us need our hearts reassured sometimes? Especially when we've done the things that we don't want to do. Especially when we're walking and things we're trying to get out of and, and we go, I need to reassure my heart that I'm even saved. And for whenever our heart condemns us, This is what I'm talking about. When we look at this and we see the gravity of what our selfishness is doing, our own self-identity, our own self-expression, our own self-centeredness, our own selfishness that grew into sin, and suddenly we go, that did not go the way I had hoped. Now that I've done this, I wish I wouldn't have done this. I deserve something other than the goodness and kindness of God. And And our heart is correct. But then what do we do? We look at Jesus and say, but you didn't skip justice. You paid it. And so you can say to your own heart, God, you're greater than my heart, and you know everything. He knows about the stuff you did. He knows about about the stuff that nobody else knows you did. He knows everything, but he is greater than our heart, and you look at the cost of what he paid for what we deserve, and it causes us not to hate ourselves, but rather to receive from him the love that he has for us. Not because we deserve it, because we don't deserve anything, do we? That's not self-hatred. It's just like you and I don't actually deserve anything. He does it because he loves us. He loves us for who we are. He loves us for who he made us to be. He loves us because of who he is. And he doesn't change his mind. And he's the one that paid the price for us. So when our conscience condemns us, no, you are not that thing that you did. You did that thing. But he goes, but that doesn't change who you are. And I paid for that thing. I actually paid for it. So when your heart condemns you for what you did, you look at what I did. And then you respond with gratitude and humility. How can you, how can you, how can you feel anything else than that? Than that? We're going to take communion together in closing, and I, I want to, I want us to just take a moment. We'll put some music on, if you don't mind, Bo. And I want to first just begin with making some room for the Spirit of God to come, and just show us, convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Satan's been judged; Jesus took all the punishment, so there's no judgment left for us. But we definitely want to have the conviction of the Lord of areas of sin, and we want to have the conviction of the Lord in areas of righteousness. Search us, O Lord, if there's any area where I'm still justifying, I want to repent of that. I want to put that before you, and I want to change my behavior because I am practicing righteousness. But that's the Holy Spirit's job. So as we prepare to take communion, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to speak to us in the places, Lord, where where you are saying it's time to repent. I've been giving you grace in this area of of habitual sin, in this behavior that you're continuing to do, in this attitude that you've had. Lord, you know, but you've, you've been giving us grace and now Holy Spirit, you're coming and saying, okay, today I'm giving you the gift of repentance. There's no more operating in this sin anymore. Let's, today is the day to turn from that sin, create a new habit, a new behavior, a new path. Go ahead and let's, uh, let's just begin to let the Spirit of God move in our hearts. And I'll lead us in communion here in a, in a couple of minutes. And he broke it and he said, this is my body and it's broken for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your body. He took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. It's the forgiveness of sins. And with eternal life, everything we just talked about here, this is what this represents. And Jesus, we thank you for it. We receive it. God is continuing the good work that he's begun in each of us. So I know throughout the coming days and weeks, he's gonna to continue to do this deep work in each of us. And some of you, this was, a, you're, you're grappling. And he's so good, he's gonna, he's gonna keep helping you. If you'd like more prayer today, well, we have the, uh, the elders and the home group leaders coming up. We'd love to pray with you and just minister to you, but let the Lord continue the good work that he's begun in each of you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus through the finished work of the cross, and you are practicing righteousness. And if you do sin, confess your sin, and you will be forgiven. And you get right back up, and you keep practicing righteousness. Amen? Amen. Amen. And if there's anyone here who's seeking and has not yet met Christ, um, anyone that's up here, we'd love to pray with you and introduce you to our wonderful hero and Messiah, Jesus Christ, and invite you into eternal life. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Go and share the hope that you have.